You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, if you would, Ecclesiastes 2. Who tonight needs a fill-in-the-blank sheet? Did we miss anybody this evening? You need a fill-in-the-blank sheet. Looking around, going once, going twice. And we need a pen tonight. All right, we're good to go. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this book and uh, studying it and preparing messages and and uh, gleaning things from it. I find it to be very applicable to my life personally and to where we are in society as well. And uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you. Tonight, we will be looking at the first three verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And then next week, we're looking at verses uh, 4 through 11. Then after that, there's more verses. So we don't normally, we'll not normally take just three verses at a time. We're trying to take uh, big chunks. But, but this is a section referring to one thing, so we want to stop and cover that. And uh, our theme for the book of Ecclesiastes, who wants to tell us tonight what the theme is? Brother Weldon, I saw your hand first. Pointlessness or emptiness of life without God. Yes, that's what the whole theme of the book is. And uh, the, we saw his thesis statement, Solomon's thesis statement, was uh, his, his, he's putting forth what the book is about. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And in other words, he thinks everything is meaningless. He thinks everything is futile. Uh, you know, nothing is bringing the satisfaction to life that, that uh, he thinks he ought to have. It's all, uh, vanity means meaningless, futile. Uh, the other word I can't remember that, that goes along with that. But uh, it's the same idea there. But uh, that, that's what we see here. And then we saw the conclusion of, of, of what he got from that is that what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So there's nothing to show for it. And then we saw there in verses 4 through 11 why he feels that way. And there's all these different things that he gives there. And last week we saw a little bit of, of how he got that way. And uh, if you remember, he did an experiment in the verses of uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. He decided to, to do a little experiment to explore and find out, hey, if I try this avenue, does this lead me to satisfaction? Does this lead me to you know, the meaning of life, the purpose of life? And the road that he went down it, it was, was wisdom. And he said, if I gain all the knowledge and all the worldly, by the way, worldly wisdom, all the worldly wisdom that I can get, if I get all of that knowledge and wisdom, is that going to make me feel like life is worth living? Is that where I'm going to find meaning and purpose and uh, empty? And that's, the, that's the word I was thinking of. It's emptiness or empty, uh, 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 meaningless or futile. That's what vanity means. And he's thinking, hey, if, if I go down that road, is that what I'm going to find at the end? And, and we saw that he did not find happiness there. He did not find meaning and purpose by gaining all the wisdom and knowledge that he could, right? So now in the verses that we're in, he's going to look at a different avenue. He, he tried wisdom, and it didn't work. It didn't take. He tried to learn everything he could, all the wisdom of this world. And again, this is a book about man's wisdom. Proverbs is a book about God's wisdom. So we're seeing that difference there in this. And he's searching everywhere under the sun for purpose. 
and he's just not going to find it. hate to spoil it for you, okay? But he's looking everywhere on this earth for purpose with man's wisdom, and he's not going to find it there. So what's the next one he tries? Well, let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. What's the next thing he tries here? I said in mine heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad or foolish. And of mirth, what doeth it? And I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, <laughs> yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So let's pray briefly and then dig into these verses here. And the topic that we're looking at, the verse, these first three verses, I'm calling it pleasure and purpose. Pleasure and purpose. Father, bless this message. Help it to give us better instruction of your word, but to change us too. Not just for the fact that we want to know more about the Bible, but we want to do something with it. So Lord, tonight would you work in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 1, I said in my heart, so he's talking to himself, having a little self-conversation. Go to now, I will prove thee. Prove means, if you fill it in there, it means test. <clears throat> it means to test. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to test myself and uh, see if I can find this to be what happens. I'll, I will test thee with mirth. So he, what's he going to try out? The word mirth there, you can even write it in your Bible, circle it and write it next to it, is the word pleasure. I'm going to try and I will search, I will prove, I will test myself with, with pleasure. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. So he said, enjoy pleasure, enjoy whatever makes you happy. And uh, that's the next experiment. He tried to find out, hey, does wisdom make me happy? Is that what's going to give me purpose? And the answer was no. So now he's like, you know what? Okay, so worldly wisdom is not going to do it. What about just pleasure? What about just, just doing what feels good? Is that going to make me feel and make me uh, understand what the purpose and, and meaning of life is and how I can feel satisfied, like I'm actually doing something that matters. We'll look at his conclusion at the end of verse 1. Behold, look, this is also vanity. This is also meaningless. This is also futile. This is also empty. E even, even the pleasure. And he really doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, you know, but this is a big thing in our world today, is the idea of just living for pleasure, living for what feels good now. Look what it says in verse 2. I said of laughter, it's mad, it's foolish, and of mirth or pleasure, what doeth it? What, do, what does he mean there? It means what does it accomplish? What use is it? What, what, what does it do for me? Verse 3, he says there, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. Now the likely reference there is not specifically just wine. He's probably referring to the idea of giving himself over to that type of indulgence, probably food and drink, is the idea there, but after he tries worldly wisdom, he says, hey, I'll just try the pleasures of the palate now. I'll try the taste of things, and, and uh, it's interesting the word there, draw, uh, uh, give myself to, it actually means to draw out or drawing out, and uh, it's talking about like expanding, like filling his belly, like filling himself with, um, uh, uh, with fun and laughter, good food, good drinks, I'm just going to fill my life with those. I'm going to fill myself with the pleasures of this world, good food, drink, uh, uh, you know, laughter and all of that. 
And that's what he's talking about. It's, it's interesting, you know, in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, and the story that Jesus gives, there was the man that said to himself, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And it seems like that's almost the same conversation Solomon was having with himself. All right, I said in mine heart, heart, you're going to try this. You're going to search out uh, uh, you know, pleasure. You're going to search out mirth. You're going to try the wine. You're going to try the food. You're going to try all of those things that, that people like. You know, He's going to go to the, the famous Gordon Ramsay restaurants or whatever. You know, or, or he was the richest man in the world. Fly Gordon Ramsay in or something. You know, and, and make all of your good food and, and just see if that's what gives life meaning and purpose. It's just getting, it's just getting pleasure and getting what you can. And of course we find out that it didn't work. Then he says there, I sought in my heart to give myself into wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. Well, what's that mean? Acquainting would be the word guiding or leading. I'm a, I, so yet guiding mine heart with wisdom, yet leading my heart with wisdom. In other words, he was experimenting and, and, and keeping, he was experimenting for the sake of experimenting. He wasn't saying, I'm going to go and just become a drunkard. I'm just going to go and, and, you know, do all this kind of stuff and, and, and not even think about it. No, he was doing an experiment. So he, he was purposely not trying to go too far with it. He wasn't trying to get lost in drunkenness and gluttony. He was experimenting and, and using his worldly wisdom against that problem while he was involved in it, which is kind of an interesting philosophy, not, not one that we ought to take to, but that's what he was saying. It was really the eat, drink, and be merry philosophy, and he's saying, is that true? Is that really what life is about? So that's what he's saying uh, in that passage there. You know, and like I said, our world very much has that philosophy. Hey, live for pleasure. Go to the club. You know, party it up. If it feels good, do it. If it tastes good, uh, eat it or drink it or get a syringe and put it in your body. Whatever feels good, hey, do that because life is short. You just got to enjoy it while you can. That's the idea that our world puts out there. And Solomon was saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my heart uh, in wisdom and guide myself, but I'm going to find out, hey, do I, do I find myself feeling fulfilled after I've gained all of this pleasure in my life? Do I find myself saying, yes, now my soul is quiet, now I'm satisfied? And of course, we know that, no, the answer was no. So interesting to me, to see Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. To see Solomon writing in Proverbs, and to see Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes. It's so interesting to me. In Proverbs, he said, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Here he's saying, laughter and mirth, it's not, you know, it's vanity of vanity, it's all is vanity. What's the difference? In Ecclesiastes, he is searching for purpose in laughter and merriment and pleasure instead of it being a byproduct of him living for God. Do you see the difference there? When you, when you put as your goal, you know, I want to be satisfied and, and pleasure is how I'm going to look for it, then you're not going to get it because all of that is a byproduct of living the right way the joy of uh, an enjoyment of laughter and merriment. And so he was, he was already pointing his compass in the wrong direction. Now look at verse 3 again. At the very end he says, And lay hold on folly or foolishness, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven 
all the days of their life. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm looking for what should I be spending my time on? What is worthwhile for someone to spend their life doing on earth? So I, I feel like so many people, they may not come out and say it, but they really want to know, hey, what's the purpose of life? What's worth living for? And we come up with our own purposes. But a lot of times, you know, it can lead to an emptiness like Solomon had. And so I see these three verses here, and I see three questions that we need to answer out of these three verses. So if you'll bear with me, I know that was a lengthy introduction with only one blank to fill in. That was hard to pay attention without the blanks to fill in. But trust me, you've got plenty more blanks coming. Okay, here it is. Number one, does pleasure bring purpose? That's the first question we need to look at. Does pleasure bring purpose? Look at verse one again. I said in mine heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth, and therefore enjoy pleasure. So he's setting out to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test this out to see if, if, by the way, mirth is an interesting word. We don't really use the word mirth too much, but it's referring to merriment. It's referring to, to, to a happiness, but it, mirth is always noise in the Bible. When you look up that word, it's an interesting word. It's always referring to, to like something going on. There's laughter. There's something audible. There's a party going on. There's, there's rejoicing. And so it, it's something that, he, you know, he's getting around the party. He's getting around the people and, and laughing and having a good time. And uh, so he's is this going to be what it is? Do, do laughter and pleasure bring satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose? So, so get the picture of what Solomon was, was, was probably most likely doing here. You know, he, he's, he, you get the picture of the, the richest, wisest man in the world. He's surrounded with the most beautiful women in the land. He's eating the finest foods. I mean, he's got the best chefs. He's got, you know, the, the finest foods that are coming out. You know, talking about the Kobe beef or whatever, the, the Wagyu steaks. Hey, Solomon had that, you know. He had a, a, all of whatever he wanted. Caviar. I've never had caviar. I have no idea if caviar is good. Is caviar good? Who says yes, caviar is good? Okay, one person's had. Who's had caviar? Okay, all right, so I'm not missing out on anything because only one person raised their hand. Okay, but, uh, you know, he, he had anything he wanted. He could have. And so he's got, you know, the, the, the ladies there. He's got the food there. He's got the, the best tasting drinks and wines there. And then he's probably got the funniest court jesters you've ever seen and, and the stand-up comedians of the day or whatever coming in. And he's laughing. He's having a good time. I mean, he's, he's, he's eating. He's drinking. There's, there's joy everywhere, it seems to be, and, and all, music and all of these different things. But you know what? He's laughing, enjoying in life, but eventually the music stops. Eventually the food's taken away. Eventually the, the court jesters or comedians of the day or whatever leave. And, everyone, and, and, and he's left eventually by himself again. And he goes through this and says, well, what was the purpose of all that? I still have the emptiness. I still don't find that this is the purpose of life. This isn't, you know, this, this doesn't help me in my labor. This doesn't, this doesn't give me fulfilling after all of that. And the emptiness creeps back in. The emptiness creeps back in. Many of you probably, you know, if you lived a life a long time without Christ and then got saved, you probably remember the times where you did a lot of things and or maybe you were saved and you got back in church later and, and you did all these things you thought would make you happy and then at the end you're just like you felt empty all over again. You know, and that is a, that's true for how life really works. 
and uh, didn't last very long probably. So write this in if you would please. Does, does pleasure bring purpose to our lives? The answer is no. Pleasure does not bring purpose to our lives. But here's another question. Is it wrong to enjoy life? Does, you know, does that mean we can't have pleasure in life? The answer is no. That doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So God gives us things to enjoy. Why did God create so many of these things? For us to enjoy. Why did God create Sprite? So we could enjoy. Okay, maybe not. I don't know, but, but uh, you know, he, he created the sugar cane, right? He created all of these things for us to enjoy. Um, food, uh, you know, steaks, if you're a meat eater. Um, you know, he, he, he and all of that stuff, uh, drinks, uh, music, nature. I mean, how many of you have been blessed just by going out somewhere and seeing nature? I mean, that God did that. that why did he do that? You know, why are there waterfalls? Why does God let us see the stars and the moon? I'm telling you, he, he has made things for us to look up and go, wow, God did that, how powerful he is. And so it's for us to enjoy that he did it. There's really no other reason. And so that's part of his creation, why he did that. But the devil is horrible. The devil takes everything God gave us and tries to misuse it or tries to get you to use it too much. You can have too much of a good thing. And the devil will try to just ruin it and, uh, and, and create bondage out of those things that God meant for good. Now, we can enjoy the pleasures that God gave us in this life, and, and we can also imagine what pleasures await us in heaven. So yeah, enjoy your life, but, but to search out pleasure, for the, to say, hey, I'm going to do all these things because my life is empty, and I want to go see this, and I want to do this, you're not going to find purpose there. That's not where you're going to find it. You can enjoy it, but that's not where you're going to find it. Our purpose for living on your sheet here is greater than just living for our pleasure. Our purpose, we are to live for his pleasure. We are to live for God's pleasure. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So, so God created us. For his pleasure, but he, but he blesses us and he, he's made us so that we also find great pleasure in knowing him. It's reciprocal and it's beautiful and God has created us that way. So we find here that does pleasure bring purpose? No, it really doesn't. And Solomon found that out and said, no, it's vanity. Number two here, the second question, what do laughter and pleasure accomplish? What do laughter and pleasure Accomplished. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, it is foolish, and of mirth, of pleasure. What doeth it? You know, what, what does it accomplish? That's really what it means there. That's what he's asking. You know, you can ask yourself a lot of questions. Uh, and I wrote several down here just to maybe get you to think, is, is happiness worth living for? Is, is, that a, is that a good goal in life, just to be happy? What's your goal in life? Well, I just want to be happy. Well, is that really uh, the best goal? Can you fabricate happiness? Can you just make it out of nothing? Because, see, I can smile and not be happy. Does happiness equal satisfaction? Is it possible to be happy all the time? Would it be good to be happy all the time? 
And I think a lot of those questions we probably know the answers to. And in fact, would it be, happy, would it be good to be happy all the time? Not really. And we're going to see that in just a couple chapters here. But, uh, and we'll explain that uh, in a couple chapters away. I've had people say to me through the years, and if I had to say who it was that said it to me, I wouldn't remember. But I've had so many people say, don't you think that God wants me to be happy? And they were saying it in a way of like, I can do this sin. I can do what I know is against God because I know God wants me to be happy. And what they're saying is, my sin makes me happy, which is really not true. A sin can make us, well, I say this, sin can make you temporarily happy because there is pleasure in sin. What's the rest of that? For a for a season, right? And I've heard that so many times, but I just think to myself, do you honestly think that your personal happiness is God's chief concern for you? Like that's the only thing he's concerned with. I just want to make you happy. So uh, let me give you that Ferrari you've been wanting. You know, let me, let me give you the mansion. Just, I just want you to be happy. Is that God's goal for you, that you be happy? No, that's not God's ultimate goal for you. I would say this, and you can fill it in. God wants you to be happy, but not at any cost. Not at any cost. Why? Because we're like children. And we are only happy when we get what we want. And God's not here to try to please your flesh. God's not here to just say, okay, well, that, I'm glad God is a better father than that. I'm glad that God knows that my flesh is weak and my flesh may want this, but he's a good father and says, no, I'm not going to give you that. Because you don't need it. And the worst thing God can do for you and me is to give us everything we want. Look at Romans chapter 1. That's what you get when you get everything you want, is you end up a, a reprobate, backslidden lifestyle that, man, you're miserable because you got everything you thought you wanted. That's your flesh. It's so tricky. But God is better than that. God knows better than that. And, and, and we want a lot of stuff that we shouldn't want. Imagine if God gave it to us all. No, the, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to be just you know, happy all the time. He says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me that's different. And by the way, here's the thing. That happiness that we're seeking is a byproduct of following Jesus. Don't live your life for it because you won't find it. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you'll find it. You'll find the happiness. You'll find the abundant life, but only through Jesus Christ. Why am I harping every week on 24-7 living for Christ? Because I want you to be miserable? No, because the only way you're going to ever have true joy is by living for Jesus Christ. That's just the truth of the matter. So we'll be happy when we follow God. And write this in. God gives us joy, which is far better than happiness. Why? Happiness flees the moment anything bad happens to you. Happiness is an emotion that's here one second and gone the next. Joy stays. Joy, you can have joy in the valley. You can, that's where you're able to say, even in the valley, God is good. Why? Because there's joy, even in the midst of sorrow. You can have joy at all times. Joy is better than happiness. Yes, I do think God wants us to be happy. But that doesn't mean he's going to give you whatever you think you need to be happy. He's going to have you, he's going to tell you again to follow him, and he's going to give you joy as you do it. So why do people live for pleasure? I've got a couple thoughts. Number one, it's an escape. It's an escape. Why live for pleasure? Because it's, it's, they, they're looking for an escape from reality. 
The next blank there. Laughter and wine don't take away the problems. They distract from them. Hey, you know, you got problems in life. You don't want to face them, so what do you do? You go sit down in front of Netflix. You get out some ice cream or whatever it is that you do uh, at nighttime. Uh, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's what are you doing? You're trying to distract yourself from the realities that are facing you tomorrow. And by the way, I don't think an escape is necessarily a bad thing all the time. My wife and I, on Monday, we escaped. We went to overnight. My mom's here. She watched the kids, and we escaped from our children and got to go overnight to a, a hotel in uh, uh, Irvine. You know, we price line some hotel and, and just go sit and read a book for hours on end, you know? And not, we love our kids, we do. But we escaped them, folks. It was wonderful. Oh, we wanted to stay forever. No, I'm kidding, I'm joking, our kids are here. But, uh, but so I, I don't think distraction is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing at times, absolutely. You, 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 your brain can't, can't be working 24 seven on stuff, you're gonna burn out. I get that distraction is a good thing, but some people really take it too far. And here's the key to this, you have to be anchored in reality. Would you fill that in? You have to be anchored in reality. Some people get so caught up in their fake world that they lose a grip on reality. Have you seen these people? And I'm not here to judge them, or I'm not, I'm not making fun of them. It is sad to me to watch people tattoo their body and cut up their ears or their nose or even put a forked tongue in their mouth to look like an animal or to look like, you know, just to look like they feel on the inside, torn up. You know, black, take, taking like uh, these blackout tattoos where their whole body is just, you know, they, they've just turned their uh, whole body into a canvas to, to become something else. I mean, there are people that have gone through plastic surgeries to, to, uh, to look like, you know, animals and cats and these different things. And I think my mom was telling me about a young lady she saw on, uh, on some show that were uh, plastic surgery to try to look like some anime character. And, and, and you know, it, we see that all the time. And and that to me is so sad that, that you can't detach yourself, that reality is so bad for you that you want to live in a fantasy world. And, and that is a very sad thing. You think about these cosplay conventions and stuff, and San Diego has, uh, I pointed that way, I think that's east. San Diego uh, has, um, uh, you know, this uh, 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 Comic Con every year, this huge thing. And, and, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I don't know much about it. But all these people go dressed as like these comic book characters. And then like they just stay that way. I mean, some people cannot break from their escape. They, they are escaping reality. And, uh, and that's a dangerous thing. We have to be anchored in reality. Why do we do that? We're trying to escape responsibility. People are trying to escape the fact that there is something to be done or the emptiness of their life. And, and for Christians, when we're escaping, we're escaping from the Great Commission. Well, you can't escape from it. You stand before God, you're going to have to, uh, there, there will be no, no uh, uh, costumes to hide behind. So why do people search for pleasure? Because they're trying to escape their reality. I think also, why do people live for pleasure? They're looking for an elixir. No, that's not a word that you hear very often in church, elixir. Did I spell it right? I did. Okay, well, I didn't spell that. I want to make sure Josh spelled it right. All right, we did. Copy and paste. There it is. Or that GPT thing you told me about earlier, right? So for an elixir, what is an elixir? An elixir is a magical or medicinal potion. 
I cooked one up. Hold on. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. What would you do if I brought out a cauldron right now? You're fired. Okay, no. But, uh, but that's what an, uh, an elixir is, this magical potion that just takes it all away, right? It's a cure-all. It's snake oil in the old days, basically. But, but that's what people are looking for. They're looking for this magical little drink or this magical little tool that, that can take away all the problems they're facing. And, and so what do they do? They look for pleasure. And pleasure does feel good at first. Pleasure, uh, it does feel good. There is pleasure in sin for a season. So why do people run to things like drugs and alcohol and pornography and all these other things when stress hits their lives? Would you feel this in? Because they're self-medicating. They're self-medicating. They're trying to fix a problem the wrong way. And so instead of addressing the root, they're saying alcohol makes me feel good for a while. Instead of addressing the real problem and facing the reality of life, they're saying drugs make me feel good. Watching this makes me feel good. Doing this makes me feel good for a while. It takes my, and we can do this with food. We can do this with, with all types of pleasure. But, but that's what people are looking for, why they do this. Here, fill this in. They are dealing with the problems in their lives in an unhealthy way. They're looking for this magical potion that cures it all. So if I just do this sin, then I'll feel good for a little while, but then it goes away. And we daydream about this stuff. People say things like, well, if I just had a two-week trip to Fiji, I'd be a new person. Well, if I could just, I saw, in Newport Beach, I saw two Bentleys in 10 minutes. You know what a Bentley is? It's about a $250,000 car. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. it was two of our church members, too. And uh, No, I'm just kidding, it wasn't. But, uh, I saw the, and, and if I just had that, that expensive car, then I'd be happy for a little while, probably, until you parked it at Walmart and someone, bink, door dinged you when they got out of their car. You ever see these people that park like two spaces? Oh, I want to go out of my way to hit them. I want to. I'm like, oh, you deserve it, but I'm not going to because I'm, you know, well, I'm, I was going to say I'm a good Christian, but I don't know. But uh, me wanting to probably doesn't mean equal that. But uh, yeah, but I mean, like, it, it would probably give you some temporary happiness. It's going to fade. The car is going to be old in a couple years. Got to get a new one. And, and, and over and over again, people are looking for pleasure. Why? For an escape. They're looking for an elixir, something, something you know, magical just to take away this, this feeling they have. But also, here's what happens. They end up empty. They end up empty again. The escape, reality hits people. It always does. Then, you know, the, the magic potion that they tried, guess what? It runs out, and they're hit with reality again. Because there's pleasure in sin for a season, but seasons change and seasons end. And I want to just say this on, I think it's on your sheet there, never forget the law of diminishing returns. What does that mean? That means the more you do something, the less pleasure you get from it the next time. So uh, why is it, you know, you, you, you have one, we'll just use drinking because it's the first thing that comes to mind. You, use, you drink one drink, the next time it's not satisfying, or the next three times. Then after that, you got to have two, and then after that, you know, it no longer, and you got to go more, and it just diminishes every time. 
relationships can go this way, immorality and things of that nature, and and, uh, how do people get involved in these horrible sins that you see where there's uh, children involved being uh, all these horrible things that people are doing. It's because of the law of diminishing returns. This doesn't excite them anymore, so it's got to get worse. And that doesn't excite them anymore, so it gets worse. And then that doesn't excite them anymore, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And where do people end up? They end up in bondage and emptiness. Would you fill it in? They end up in bondage and emptiness. Because why? Because they were living for pleasure. So laughter and pleasure, if that is your goal in life, boy, it's not going to accomplish much for you. And the last question we see here tonight, we saw, does pleasure bring purpose? Well, no, it really doesn't. What do laughter and pleasure accomplish? Well, if you're living just for that, not much. But then lastly, the last question in verse 3 is, what is worthwhile for us to do on earth? Verse 3, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Under the heaven again, they're talking about, you know, under the sun, under the heaven. So what is good for men to do? What should we be spending our time doing? How can we know that what we are doing is worthwhile? What criteria do we use? And then, you know, and by the way, let me just say, you know, is laughter bad? Is mirth bad? No. But again, just to reiterate, the the pursuit of pleasure leads to emptiness. I think as a Christian, I laugh a lot more than I ever would as an unsaved person. I think as a Christian, I have much more joy than than the average... (laughs) Any unsafe person. So, but, but that is not the, the purpose of my life. It's the byproduct, again, of living for God. So what is worthwhile for us to do on earth? Well, let's look at this verse. Three things are mentioned here. It says at the end there that what was that good for the sons of men which they should do? So first of all, write this in. There are things we should do. There are things we should be doing. Absolutely, we know that. But then he says this, which they should do under the heaven. So secondly, those things are to be done while on the earth. So there are things that we should be doing, and he's saying, what are the things that we should be doing? And then under the earth, or under the heaven, uh, basically, look, you can't work for Christ anymore once this life's over. It's done. Once Once the bell rings and you're out of here, There's no more work to be done for God. There's no more treasures to be laid up. And that's one thing that we are supposed to be doing here on earth is in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, laying up treasures in heaven. How can I know what I'm doing here is worthwhile? Are we doing something that's laying up treasures for later? Is it paying dividends in the future? Is it something that when I get to heaven, be like, boy, that investment paid off. That spiritual investment paid off. So there are things that we should do that God has given us to do We'll talk about some in a second. And there are things that ought to be done while here on earth. And then the third part there is those things are to be done faithfully. That's what he says here, under the heaven all the days of their life. So he's saying, I'm looking for what I'm supposed to do on earth for the rest of my life. What am I supposed to do? And that's a good question. What are we supposed to do on earth, under heaven, for the rest of our lives? Well, I'll tell you some things God's given you a job to do. Most of you will get up tomorrow morning and go to your job. Good, do that. God's given you a ministry to serve in, so serve in it. God's given you a Bible to read and study, so read it and study it. 
God's given you a message to share, so share the message. God's given you a church to attend, so attend it. God's given you a Savior to accept and worship. If you've accepted him, worship him. So we know some things. We know some things that God has placed in our hands to do. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might, right? That's in the book of Ecclesiastes. In the Colossians, it says, uh, you know, uh, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And, and I think it's Colossians. And, you know, so all these verses, God's saying, look, whatever I've given you to do, you better do it with all you've got. So what has God given you to do? Whatever it is, it's worthwhile. Be faithful with it. Now, some things we absolutely know, but I don't think everything God gave you to do is spiritual. I think some of it is physical stuff. Like I said, I think going to work is part of God's plan for your life. Absolutely. You ought to go to work. Why? Because uh, he that does not work and provide for his own is worse than an infidel. So part of that absolutely is God's plan for you. So of all the things God has placed in your hand, do those things. Do them here with all you've got, knowing, again, that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, knowing that when we sow the right seeds, we're doing what God has told us to do, that there will come a harvest from it. And that harvest is not just here on earth. It's in heaven. So absolutely there are things that are worthwhile on earth for us to do, but seeking for pleasure, that is not worthwhile. Seeking for wisdom just for the sake of being smart is not worthwhile. So uh, get what he's saying here. The, and last, the second to last blank. The only way to make sure that what you do on earth is worthwhile is to keep Christ at the center of your life, your thinking, and your actions. That's the only way to really make sure that what you're doing is laying up treasures in heaven. So what is worthwhile to do? Whatever God tells you to do, whatever Christ has put into your hand to do, do it with your might and, and, and do what, we, we listed a lot of them there, serve. God told you to do that. God told you to read his word, study it, uh, share the message, all of those things. That's the way you find the meaning and purpose of life. Now Solomon's going to come to himself at the end of this. He's going to see some things a little bit clearer. But right now he's going through telling you, here's what I tried first, here's what I tried second, First, I didn't find anything. It was all vanity in the wisdom avenue. Then I tried the pleasure avenue, and guess what? It was all vanity there too. So I wonder what he's going to try next time. So on the bottom there, are you living your life for pleasure? Or are you living your life on purpose for Jesus? What are you doing right now that's laying up treasures in heaven? Because you know that's where you're going to find purpose, is when you keep Christ in front of your life. And whatever he puts in your hand to do, you do that with all your might. That is worthwhile. That is something that leads to satisfaction, meaning, and, uh, and all of the things that we search for in life, and purpose and all of that. Father, bless us tonight, I pray, as, as uh, we look at this Bible study and we see what a wise man concluded after searching for things. But Lord, I pray that today as as we are so guilty as humans of looking for pleasure in all the wrong places. We're so guilty of thinking that pleasure is the end all and that I have to do this to...